KXNO Des Moines. Now, today's biggest stories from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Craig Kimbrell will be added to the Chicago Cubs roster today. Kimbrell completed his minor league assignment with the Iowa Cubs, allowing one run and two hits and three and two-thirds innings pitched. To Omaha in the College World Series, game three for the title between Michigan and Vanderbilt. Center field, DeMarco. There to make the catch. Anchored down, Vanderbilt on top of the college baseball world again. The call from ESPN as Vanderbilt wins it 8-2. To Major League Baseball, Battle of the Sox, White Sox and Red Sox. And Jose Abreu goes deep again. Jose drills it. Deep left field toward the monster. And the White Sox lead. White Sox win it 8-7 on the call from NBC Sports Chicago. To Minnesota, the Twins down 4-3 in the seventh inning. Nelson Cruz to the plate with the bases loaded. A drive to the gap in left center. Kiermaier's over. He won't get there. It'll clear the bases. And Nelson Cruz brings down the house. Dick Bremer with the call. Fox Sports North in a 6-4. Twins win. Twins back at it today. 12-10 against the Rays. Cubs host the Braves. 120 with the first pitch. And Milwaukee looks to solve Seattle. 110 with the first pitch. CIML baseball scoreboard from last night. Ankeny Centennial scores a combined 42 runs in a doubleheader sweep against Ames 17-6 and 25-1. Top-ranked Johnston sweeps Dowling 3-2 and 6-1. Southeast Polk with the split against Mason City. Sixth-ranked Roosevelt with the sweep against Des Moines East. And Ankeny and Urbandale split a pair. Tonight, high school baseball on 1460 KXNO. It'll be Southeast Polk on the road at West Des Moines Valley, 7 o'clock with the first pitch. That comes your way right after Barnstormers Weekly as the voice of the Barnstormers, Joe Stacy and head coach Dixie Wooten get ready for playoff football. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Let's get right to it. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. About 20 minutes, David Kaplan joins us uh, from Chicago, ESPN 1000, NBC Sports Chicago. A lot of Cubs conversation coming up. And right now, what a great time of year. It's the 25th edition of Phil Steele's College Football Preview. It is an absolute must-have. It is the most accurate magazine, college football publication in the last 21 years. Spoken with him for a number of those 25 years. And Phil Steele back on the radio. Good to talk to you again, Phil Steele. Congratulations on making it 25 years. Trent Condon and Ken Miller, good to talk to you. Hey, good to talk to you guys also once again, and uh, appreciate that on the 25 years. Hard to believe it is. it's been 25 years for the magazine, but you know that first one was black and white on newsprint and about 188 <laughs> pages. We've come a long way, 352 pages, uh, full color. And uh, I feel it's got three to four times the amount of information any other magazine out there. No, I couldn't agree with you more. It's an absolute must-have in an era, Phil, of you know magazines kind of going away in a lot of cases, right? I can't see yours ever you know, joining that list. If you're a sports fan, if you're a college football fan, this is a must-have, Phil, in an, in an industry, quite honestly, that's you know, magazine-wise, that's struggling a little bit. You're the exception or one of them. Yeah, and when we started, there was probably like 30 magazines in the market, and now they've been dwindling down. And, you know, I think the one big advantage we have, and, and 
Let me know if you guys feel the same way on this. If I gave you a 10-question quiz, since all the pages are laid out the same way for every team, if I said, give me a score three years ago when mm. Iowa played Iowa State, yeah. uh, give me Kansas's leading rusher for last year, who's this starting left tackle for North Texas? Right. Give you 10 questions like that. In my magazine, you could probably look it up in a matter of a minute mm-hmm. and maybe two minutes. If you went on the Internet went to each school's website, you're probably 10, 15 clicks away from finding the information you need. Right now, the magazine's even quicker than the Internet. It is, and for what Trent and I do, that's ex- you hit the nail right on the head. It's, uh, it's a great tool for us is what it is. Well, I want to start with Iowa State, who you've got picked a joint third with TCU. It's remarkable what Matt Campbell is doing to this program and, and the levels and the heights seemingly that he's going to take it to. But Iowa State right now, Oklahoma... Texas, those are the top two teams, and you've got them as a joint one as well. It's going to be a great fight, but as we've talked kind of in the weeks leading up to the, you know, getting closer to college football, if there is a school to cut into that Oklahoma Texas seeming dominance at the top of the Big 12, don't overlook this Cyclone team. I agree with you 100%. You know, and you go back from 1979 to 2016, Iowa State had a grand total of one season of eight or more wins. One. In that entire stretch. And Matt Campbell's now done it back to back years. Amazing. And last year's Iowa State team was only number 94 on my experience chart. This year, they're number 16. Going over that offensive line. I remember the first year Matt Campbell was there. We went over his offensive line. Uh, it was a mismatch. They had no experience. They had players from different positions. And now in his fourth year, he's got a veteran unit. All five guys are back. They have the makings of a very good offensive line, led by Julian Good-Jones, who's got an NFL prospect at the left tackle spot. Then, guy that, you know, once again, quarterback emerges during the course of the season. Uh, he had a fantastic year, hitting 66% with a 16-7 ratio. Should be improved as a sophomore. And while they lose David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, two pretty big losses, I like the replacements. You look at the two true Frosch, Hall, and Brock. Mm-hmm. I think they can step right in at running back. And a receiver, Deshante Jones, could emerge as this year's star. Defensively, you know, when I'm in the committee meetings for all the different awards, a lot, sometimes a reporter will say, well, the Big 12 doesn't play defense. I go, hold on a second. Right. <laughs> Iowa State plays defense. They only gave up 349 yards per game and 22.9 points per game last year, despite the fact they're playing in the Big 12. And they've got eight starters back. So when you look at their defense, I've got their defensive line rated number 12 in the country and a linebacking unit number five. So they really are a complete team. They do get Texas at home this year, which is big. They have to play Oklahoma on the road. But I think if you look at Iowa State's schedule, they could very well be in that Big 12 title game. Remember when they played Texas last year, uh, they were right at the cusp of it as well. Had they beat Texas, I think they would have been in the Big 12 title game. You know, Phil, in the Big 12 as a whole, it's known as a quarterback league. You talked about the defense and how you know people have that throwaway line. They don't play defense. And not always the case, but quarterbacks in general. You have your first four teams of, of players up and down the Big 12. Ellinger on your first team. Jalen Hurts, the transfer in for Oklahoma. Bauman at Texas Tech. And then Charlie Brewer, who I really like, at Baylor. And I'm sure there are Iowa State fans out there saying, well, where's Brock Purdy? How difficult was it to put out those four quarterbacks and figure out the order you were going to put them in? 
Uh, pretty difficult. And you mentioned Brock Purdy. You know, a lot of times what I do when I'm looking at the third and fourth string quarterback, I go more towards who's going to be higher up in the passing totals. And, you know, if you look at Baylor's offense this year, I think they are going to be throwing the football more than Iowa State does. Same thing with Texas Tech. They throw the football more. So at the end of the year, Bowman and Brewer were both solid QBs, Mm -hmm. probably end up with more passing yards uh, than does Brock Purdy. So sometimes the uh, reflection of a third and fourth team quarterback in my all-conference team does not necessarily reflect necessarily who I think is the most talented, although those two guys are pretty good, but Brock Purdy's pretty good as well. Yeah, it had to be tough, no doubt about it, and I have no problem with what you did. Uh, I like the Bowman at uh, Texas Tech, and as Trent said, uh, his Baylor kid's pretty darn good as well. Well, let's, let's switch over to the Big Ten. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a race, the West. It really is. There could be a change at the top of the East as well. We'll get into that. But the West is such a crapshoot, with the exception of poor Lovey and, uh, and, and, and Illinois. I honestly think you could make a legitimate case for the other six teams. You'll start with Nebraska. Nebraska as your pick to win the West. A lot of close losses last year. Scott Frost, back year two. They got a returning quarterback. How close was it between Nebraska and Iowa as far as who was going to hold your top spot in the West? Yeah, and realistically, I think you hit it dead on the head. If you told me right now, Phil, I need you to make a case for Purdue winning the West, I could make a strong case for you. Make a case for Northwestern winning the West, same thing. Minnesota, same thing. Wisconsin, same thing. Iowa, same thing. Uh, It was very tough to pick the team in the West. But let me give you the reasons that I ended up with Nebraska at the number one spot this year. Uh, first of all, last year, Scott Frost stepped into a situation where, you know, he took over a pass-happy offense under Mike Riley, trying to re- change it into a spread option offense. He had the quarterback for it, but not necessarily the surrounding talent. He had to switch up the blocking schemes on the offensive line, and it took a while. They averaged 23 points per game those first six games, but 37 points per game over the final six games when they went 4-2. and two. That was a big plus. Defensively, they have not been the black shirt defense the last two years. They've given up over 340 yards per game, but I think they'll be stronger on D with six starters back on that side of the ball. But what I really like is the schedule. You know, last year you touched on it. They had some close losses. They they really weren't an 0-6 team to start the year. Should have beaten Colorado. Could have beaten Troy. Had their opportunities against Wisconsin, Northwestern, but they did play better down the stretch. Now this year, Michigan drops off the schedule. Michigan State drops off the schedule, and there's really no dominant team in the West. And I think if you look at the West, you'd probably say the other top three teams are Northwestern, Wisconsin, Iowa. They get all three of those teams at home. They only play Ohio State out of the East. It's a schedule tailor made for success. And last year, my number one most improved team in the country was Florida. They went four and seven the previous year. They ended up number seven in the final poll. This year, my number one most improved team in the country is Nebraska. And I expect them to go from four wins to potentially double digit wins this year. Let's dive a little bit deeper in the team. You do have picked second with Iowa. I know you do a number of different power rankings throughout the year and a couple of those sets that you did came out with Iowa winning 11 games this year. The schedule's difficult, five road games, all games that are certainly losable for Iowa this year. Plenty of talent there, but an overview as you see the Hawkeyes coming into the season. Yeah, and Iowa really never has an overly experienced team. I think, I think Coach uh, Ferentz usually goes with the more experienced players as his starters, and that's why they're only number 90 on the experience chart. But, heck, they were 102 on the experience chart last year. Now, last year's defense was driven by that defensive line. That was one of the best defensive lines in the entire country, and they had to be good because they lost all three linebackers from the previous year, and Iowa had their usual exceptional defense under Coach Ferentz. 
giving up just 294 yards per game. Well, this year they lose all four starters off the defensive line, but they do get back A.J. Epineza, who actually led the team in sacks, which is a plus, and I think he teamed with Golston. We'll keep the yep. pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Linebacking unit is good. Secondary, I really like. I think that I like both corners. Geno Stone is strong safety, very solid. And offensively, your biggest question mark, got to come down to replacing those tight ends. We've always seen 12 personnel, a lot of two tight end offense. May see more, thir- uh, you know, 11 personnel this year, maybe. But I think that he'll develop tight ends. They've got a veteran quarterback in Nathan Stanley. And how about that tackle combination? Mm. Wirfs and Jackson. Those are two NFL caliber offensive tackles. Now, their schedule more difficult than Nebraska, which is why I have them coming in second. They do have to play Michigan, Wisconsin, Northwestern, all on the road. And perhaps a game that decides the Big Ten West, Nebraska on the road the Friday after Thanksgiving. But anytime Coach Ferentz is walking the sidelines, you got a team that's capable of winning the Big Ten West. Mm, Phil Steele is our guest. It's the 25th anniversary of his uh, college football preview. It's on newsstands and available everywhere now. I want to get to the Big Ten east with you phil because i think we could finally see this might be the year that harbaugh knocks off uh ohio state but and so your thoughts on that and then i'm looking at this penn state team pursuant to iowa's schedule we get the brand etc but you know sanders who comes in and takes barkley's job last year he kind of went under the radar he had a hell of a year mcsorley's gone might penn state be you know living on reputation only might they be due for kind of a fallback uh how do you see the nittany lines and is this the year that michigan finally claims the big 10 east all right, let's start at the top. We'll go with the Ohio State-Michigan thing. And, you know, Ohio State, of course, loses Urban Meyer this year. Uh, and their defense should be improved. They were, If you watch both teams last year, if you watch Michigan all season long and you watch Ohio State all season long, you came away more impressed with Michigan. I thought they were the better team. That's why they were a favorite in Columbus at the end of the season. Now, that day, they were not the better team. Ohio State crushed them, especially with the big second half. But I think overall, Michigan was probably the better team last year overall. And this year, Michigan's got the defense. Don Brown's back. He's got five returning starters. And while they lose some key players, remember two years ago, they only had one returning starter on defense. I expected a drop-off. How about just 18.8 points per game they allowed? They will have a top-notch defense with five starters back. And offensively, it's intriguing. Josh Gaddis comes over from Alabama, brings the spread offense with him, and that's the perfect fit for Shea Patterson. Patterson's got the receivers to throw to in Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, and he's also got my number four-rated offensive line. Plus, Michigan solid on special teams. They have my number seven special teams. Then you factor in the schedule. Probably the three toughest games, and this will allude to what you said about Penn State in a minute, three toughest games, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Ohio State. All three of those teams are at home. That's why I've got Michigan actually winning the Big Ten East for the first time and I have picked Ohio State over them each year under Harbaugh. I've been correct every year. This year I'm going with Michigan over Ohio State to win the East, win the Big Ten, and even make the playoff this year. Mm -hmm. Now, with Penn State, I think James Franklin's doing an incredible job recruiting at Penn State, so I don't know if there's going to be that big of a drop-off, but you hit it on the head. Replacing a guy like Trace McSorley is big. Plus, every time I've talked to Coach Franklin, each of the last three years, we've come into the season, and he says, 
you know, we're really one and one A at quarterback. I have equal confidence in Tommy Stevens that I do in Trace McSorley. So I fully expected Tommy Stevens to be the starting quarterback for Penn State this year. And then he transfers. I've got him now the starting quarterback at Mississippi State. We're dealing with Sean Clifford here as the starting QB. I'm not saying Clifford's going to have a bad year. In fact, McSorley was probably under expectations last year at 18-7 ratio with 53%. Clifford could still have a good year. He's got good receivers to throw to. The offensive line looks solid. The defense with uh, Etor Grossmatos is going to be dynamic, uh, top 10 defense. And that's why I think that there's still going to be a player in the East. But with that schedule, they have to play Michigan State, Ohio State, Iowa, all on the road, and Michigan at home. They're probably going to be an underdog in as many as four games this year. I think it's going to be tough for them to top last year's nine-win total. Bill, we'll let you go with a big overview of college football and uh, one of your great articles. You've been a longtime proponent of a four-team playoff. We are here. We had an article in this year's magazine. Avoid bracket creep. Don't expand this thing to eight. Help the listeners out there. Why should stay at four? Yeah, a couple of reasons. You know, last year, uh, with the four-team playoff, every week is valuable. And you go back to last year, for example, Clemson played Syracuse. Uh, at home, a four-touchdown favorite. But all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they're down by two scores. They needed a third-string quarterback to complete a fourth-and-ten pass to get the game-winning touchdown. Had they lost that game to Syracuse, they would have actually not won their division. Syracuse would have won the division with the tiebreaker, and Clemson wouldn't have been in the ACC title game, might not have even made the playoff. Now, with an 18 playoff, you know they're in. It doesn't matter whether they win or lose one game or two games here. They'd be in the playoff at the end of the year. So that's one of the reasons the regular season means the most in college football, more so than any other sport out there. The second is I've watched the FCS playoff for years, and sometimes it turns into a battle of attrition. Now who's the best teams playing in the championship? KXNO. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Thank you to Phil Steele. Phil Steele's College Football Magazine on sale, well, everywhere. Uh, let's get to David Kaplan, shall we? Off to Chicago we go. He's brought to us by our friends at Centurion Stone of Iowa. Cubs dropped one last night, but uh, Cap, here's the good news. Obviously, great to talk to you. Uh, the division, the Central Division, a lot of teams scuffling right now. Maybe Pittsburgh uh, playing the best of anybody in the division, but the Cardinals, Brewers, and the Cubs all kind of going through a rough spot right now. Yeah, they all are, and you know, you got, you, and by the way, great to be with you guys as always. Uh, you got you, Darvish, still hasn't won at Wrigley. He snaps his streak of 10 straight no decisions by getting an L. Um, boy, I'm more concerned. Look, he's got the best stuff on their starting staff, and it's not close in terms of stuff. Right now, for whatever reason, he just can't seem to make a big pitch in a big spot. He was on Twitter two hours before the game engaging with Gordon Wittenmeyer. Gordon from the Sun-Times, I don't know if you guys heard this, uh-uh. Gordon tweets a picture of, or he says he needs to get a Notre Dame hat with the ND for no decision. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like 5 o'clock, 5.15. Darvish tweets back, no, I want this hat, and it was a Cubs hat with the big W on it. Mm-hmm. And so... Of course, he gets somebody today, or I think Gordon said, he needs a Louisville hat with an L on it because he got a loss. And this whole thing blew up on social media, and there are some people going, what are you doing on Twitter two hours before a baseball Mm -hmm. game? But then you really think about it, and you go, okay, 
So what? What's he supposed to do there? Sit there tight as a drum? If that relaxes him and he has no problem, you know, being ready to pitch and he's got great stuff, he's having fun with it. It wasn't like it was contentious at all. God bless him. He just got to go out and make better pitches. My big problem with this team is not their rotation. It's older. It's going to have hiccups at times. It also has really good pitching in it. They'll be fine. Hendricks is already throwing again. He's healthy. They're going to be A-OK. My big problem with this baseball team is their offense is the most overrated offense in baseball. Mm. They are not getting big hits in big spots on a consistent basis. The other night, five opposite field hits. They get eight runs. They beat Tehran, and they win. And then what do you watch the rest of the series? Struggle, struggle, struggle. We'll get a couple home runs. Come on. This, there's too much talent there for this team to look this feeble offensively. It's got to get fixed. It has got to get fixed quickly. And I told you guys this before. In 04 in Boston, Theo at the deadline went, okay, something's got to change here. And he shocked the world and he traded Nomar Garcia Parra. Okay, I'm not t- advocating that he trades his starting shortstop. I'm uh, far from it. What I'm saying is everything has to be on the table. Mm-hmm. If you truly believe that your pitching staff, bullpen, rotation, and core pieces is good enough to win the World Series with a little maneuvering, then everything has to be on the table. Can I go get Whit Merrifield? If I can't get him, can I go get this guy? Who's out there that can help us become a better team? Because if you can't admit to yourself that your team's not good enough, then you've already lost the battle. Cap, it's uh, a team in the Braves. I, I want to get your perspective on them. If the Cubs win this division, we're halfway through the season. It's a long ways away. But if, it appears pretty likely that's who they'd see in the division series, Braves-Cubs, for the matchup. Okuna's a stud. This team is a lot better than, than I think I even realized before this series. I, I just I like the talent of it. As it's currently constructed, you mentioned the, the hitting struggles of this Cubs team. How do you think they do match up in a playoff series against the Braves? Um, look, the Braves have really good young yeah, athletic players. That's just a fact. Yep. I think the Cubs rotation matches up. I think the Cubs bullpen matches up. And this team today is not the team that I think they're going to be if they make the playoffs. I think they're going to be a better team. And if they're not a better team, then they're probably not in the playoffs. So I don't know if they have to match up today the way I think they'll match up in the fall. But if their offense isn't better, they got no shot. Because you face, you don't get number five starters. You don't get bullpen days in the playoffs. You don't get, hey, this guy's up from AAA to make a spot start. You get every single game their top three. So if you're not offensively, you got no shot. Back to uh, what you're saying about the team's hitting. Would Anthony Iaposi be in trouble? I mean, could we get to that no. point this year? No. I mean, so what are we going to do? Change hitting coaches and pitching coaches every Again? year? <laughs> right. It's not on those guys. They show up every day. They do their job. They get their guys prepared. Anthony Rizzo's like, what, four for 30 on the homestand? That's not on Anthony Iaposi. <laughs> you Darvish giving up five runs and getting his head kicked in yesterday is not on Tommy Hottavy. That's on you, Darvish. Chris Bryant hitting into a double play the other night with men on first and second and nobody out is not on Anthony Iaposti. 
Now, if you told me that he flipped Chris Bryant from a right-handed hitter to a left-handed hitter, and it's all because he wanted it, well, okay, I'll tell you that get rid of your hitting coach. He's an idiot. But their hitting coach is a really good hitting coach. Chris Bryant's a veteran hitter who's been an MVP. And if he's slumping or Rizzo's slumping or Baez is slumping, we have to stop the mentality around the Chicago Cubs of, well, we won the World Series, but we want to change the hitting coach. So let's get rid of John Maley, and now let's go to this guy, and now let's go to back to that guy who's a Maley disciple. Maybe we were wrong, and we shouldn't have brought Chili Davis here because it's got to be Chili's fault. Heaven forbid it can't be the player's fault. And then, oh, you know what? Let's get rid of Chris Basio. Let's bring in Jim Hickey. Uh, Jim Hickey has issues, whatever they were. Let's get rid of him, and now let's bring in Tommy Hotteby, who I actually love. I think they made a really good hire on both those jobs. But it's on the players, period. Fired up Cap is a good Cap. We're glad to have him. He's David Kaplan, brought to us by Centurion Stone. Hey, let me ask you this, Cap. We've now seen, what, eight uh, eight and two-thirds, I think, of Alzelay since he's been up there. uh, Start start, and then comes in relief and uh, gets a win in his first appearance. What have you seen? He's given up a couple of home run balls, but other than that, so far, so good, right? He looks like he belongs. Yeah, he does look like he belongs. Uh, they're going to you know, make these decisions on when they start using Craig Kimbrell. He's here. Um, who they send down, who's long-term fit. If you tell me they put Adbear Alzali actually, Is it okay? in a deal, I will be very disappointed unless they're getting something so compelling that puts them, in their opinion, over the top to win a World Series. If they truly go out and trade one of the good young starters we've seen and one of the few pitching prospects they've developed, they better make a hell of a deal, man, because I really like this kid. Uh, of the, uh, the the walking wounded from the pitching uh, staff, uh, Cap, uh, Carl Edwards, of course, Morrow apparently is throwing, and you mentioned Kyle Hendricks. There's some reports out there that maybe after the All-Star break for Hendricks. How about those three? Yeah, what we're hearing is that Kyle, like this is they're erring totally on the side of caution. They did not want any serious problems uh, long-term to crop up. But had this been you know, late August, September, they would have absolutely kept Kyle Hendricks in the rotation. But this was airing on the side of caution, and hopefully that is what it is and that he will be ready to rock and roll and back in the rotation. But I do not want Al Zolai going down. He, I know he has options and all of that. Mm-hmm. He's got these veteran guys. This guy's gone out and pitched eight-plus innings and given up two hits, two home runs. Yeah. That's it. So I'm all in on Adebert Alzali. Uh, Alzali. Alzali. Got to get yeah, that yeah. one right. Carl We've... Edwards and Morrow cap real quick. Uh, Carl Edwards is throwing again. He has not yet done a full bullpen okay. as he's coming back from a back injury. But they feel like he's not far away. And on um, Brandon Morrow, he has been throwing from 120 feet. He's been throwing on flat ground. They're taking their time because I think if this one doesn't work, then you basically just write it off and go, okay, that's it. We're done. He's out of here. We made a bad signing, and it didn't work out. So they're cautiously optimistic that by the end of August, this guy is actually pitching meaningful baseball. Mm -hmm. With Kimbrell here, he's lost his closing job, but you can't close with Kimbrell every single night the rest of the season. So if he does come back, how about an impactful eighth inning where you go, 
all right, I need a ground ball. I'm going to stroke. I need a strikeout. I got 99 to 100 miles an hour for Brandon Morrow. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to Craig Kimbrell, and I know they're going to add a lefty. So let's assume, let's pick a name. It's Will Smith, who throws upper 90s, has an ERA in the ones for the Giants. So if I told you you have Steve Ciszek, Will Smith, or I, I think he'll be a guy they target, Brandon Morrow, Pedro Strope, Craig Kimbrell, I'll put that up against anybody in the American or National League. Keep your hands off Will Smith. I want him to go to the Twins. So you, you guys, you got plenty over there. My Twins need a little bit of help. Hey, seriously, Cap, speaking of the American League Central, White Sox pounded around Chris Sale a little bit yesterday. That was fun to see. This White Sox team, we've talked about it before, young talent goes there. And to beat up Chris Sale, a former uh, White Sox, had to feel pretty good for that group yesterday. Yeah, it did. And it's funny, yesterday morning I am getting ready for my show, and as I do every day, I go through the pitching form of all the teams. And then I'm looking at the line, and I called my producer over at NBC, and I said, dude, did you see the line on the White Sox game? He's like, no, what is it? The White Sox are plus 320. Plus. That is minus 357 for Chris Sale. That, I think, is the biggest or second biggest um, favorite in all of baseball this year. Well, the White Sox had one other game where they were a north of 300 underdog, and I didn't bet that game. And I went, God, they were they won that game. Let's bet this game. So we both bet it. Small, <laughs> nothing crazy, but we both bet it, and the White Sox went out and win. So they're 2-0 and when they're a, a plus 300 or better underdog. Uh, Cap, uh, just one thing. Kobe White, we haven't spoken to you since the draft. I love the pick. I know you had Roy Williams on. Obviously, he's going to say glo- speak glowingly uh, of his former guard. I think this is a good pick, Cap. How did it go over in Chicago? It went over exceptionally well, and I did have uh, Kobe on, and I had Roy Williams on, and I really, really liked the pick. Now, I love Darius Garland, and I wish yeah. they would have had him on the board, mm-hmm. and I would have taken Darius Garland. But that doesn't mean I don't like Kobe White. I just think it's going to come quicker as a point guard to Darius Garland. I think it's going to take more time for Kobe White. But I think you're going to see the Bulls pretty active in free agency trying to land a point guard. And somebody, nah, I'm not telling you they're going out and spending $80 million on Malcolm Brockton because I don't think they are. I think they're going to go out and try and sign Corey Joseph or Ish Smith Someone like that who's a veteran player, they can get at a manageable number that doesn't eat up a ton of their available $23 million. I think it's $23.1 million in cap space right now without any other moves. And they'll have a guy who can kind of tutor Corey, uh, Kobe White and then have this veteran presence in the backcourt. Chris Dunn's fallen out of favor. I don't think they can move his money. I think they would like to. And then you get Zach Levine, who's going to have more ball handling responsibilities and has embraced that challenge from Jim Boylan, who they've really gotten this really good relationship developed after they clashed at the start because Jim was pushing these guys. And he said, I want the ball in your hands, but you've got to make better decisions and think like a lead guard rather than I'm off the ball, all I do is score. And I think he's embraced that. So if he has, I think they have a chance to get to 500. Mm. Captain, last thing, we were both at Soldier Field last Friday night as the Rolling Stones began their tour. What an incredible show, Cap. It was unbelievable. It was a bucket list item for me. Likewise. I've never been able to see them. And I wanted 
Like when the, th- this is probably <clears throat> we thought this in 1990, whatever. Yeah, they'll probably never come back to Chicago, and they have multiple times. Mick loves playing here and has talked about that. Uh, but I got this opportunity when he's 75. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. And the energy that that man showed, it's amazing, bouncing around the stage for almost two hours was insane. I pray that I am as active at 75 like he is. And I thought the show was insane. And listening to Gimme Shelter outdoors at Soldier Field in a really nice night in my favorite city in the world, my home, was one of the coolest memories I'll ever have. It was spectacular. Cap, great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for being flexible. We'll get back on your Wednesday schedule next week. Thank you, David Kaplan. Whatever. I'm always here for you guys. I love talking sports. I love it. Thank you, pal. Good to talk to you. You have a good day. Uh, David Kaplan brought to us by Centurion Stone. Centurion Stone. Boy, he's good. Yes, he is. (laughs) Fired up today, too. Uh, If you're looking for manufactured or natural stone to accent or update your exterior or interior project of any size, Centurion Stone of Iowa has a variety of styles, patterns, and colors for your every need. We have it in front of our condo. We have it on both of our fireplaces on our condo. It is spectacular. You know what else is? There's showroom. Don't take my word for it, although you can, and I hope you do, Uh, but the showroom, Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. Online, Centurion Stone of Iowa, 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. Centurion Stone of Iowa makes it possible for us to have the cap man on each and every week. Fired up about his cubbies today, Trent. Yeah, and I, I can understand it, can't you? This well, t- I couldn't see the game last night because we were blacked out. But sure, but just overall scuffling? Yeah. Is, is that the term the that you division used? is. It, that's true, yeah. yes. And that helps. I mean, sure. imagine this point if, if the Brewers or Cardinals have won 8 out of 10 and all of a sudden you're looking up and saying... They've lost 7 out of 10, the Brewers. Yes. It, it, and they're losing to Seattle. It's just... No. It's, it's odd. Yeah. It's odd because I like the construction of all three of these teams, but outside of a couple of stretches... None of them have been able to just play good a good, solid month. It doesn't seem for quite a while now. It's been a while, no yeah. doubt about it. We will take a time out. We'll come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon, we are here until noon, every Monday through Friday. Well, not next Thursday, week from today. Everybody's off. It's July the 4th, after all, but you get the picture. Uh, noon is when we wrap things up. 10 is when we get things going every morning. Murph and Andy at 2, the Fanatics at 4. The morning rush starts it all over at 6. Miller and Condon back with one more segment on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460.